Hi, I'm Cameron. And I'm Jorge Luis. And today on Education Equals Hope Hopecast, we get to interview Dr. Charles Coleman, a child psychiatrist from Louisiana. We're so thankful for his support and his presence in this Hopecast. So let's start now. Hopecast. Learning about the life and mission of Education Equals Hope. And welcome to the Education Equals Hope Hopecast. I'm Cameron Graham Vivanco. And I am Jorge Luis Rodriguez. I'm the co-founder of Education Equals Hope and the director of the program here in Ecuador. And I am the coordinator of teams and training for Equals Age in Ecuador as well. Woo-hoo! Education Equals Hope, as you know, exists to provide for the education of those in desperate and difficult situations. We do this podcast to keep you informed, all of our donors and supporters and listeners and everyone that knows Equal Sage or is involved with us in any shape or way or form. <laughs> we really want to keep you informed of us, um, what is going on down here with all mm-hmm. of our ministry sites and activities down. Absolutely. So today, in order to do that, we have a special guest. Yay, I love this, this series we're on with special guests. Our <laughs> special guest today is Dr. Dr. Charles Coleman. Good morning, Dr. Coleman. Good morning, and thanks for having me. (laughs) Thank you for being here. (laughs) We call uh, Dr. Charles Coleman, we call him Chuck, and we're so thrilled to have you in the studio with us. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Um, How how did you get get to Ecuador? Why are you here? Well, I'm... uh, um, I'm, Who are you? Yes, give us, please tell us your credentials and how that plays into why you're here. Okay, well, I'm a child psychiatrist, and I am on senior faculty at the LSU Medical School in New Orleans. Woohoo, go Saints. And I have a lot of experience with disasters, poverty, mm. oppression, and difficult situations. That's a terrible <laughs> thing to have lots well, of experience with. And <laughs> a lot, of, lot of experience. And so I have also um, readjusted my professional life to make sure I focus a lot on social psychiatry, mm. cultural issues, and dealing with oppressive systems. Wow. And I and we're recently ask been him to come down full time on staff with us. Ah. <laughs> and I've recently been named a fellow with the American with the American Medical Association and the Satcher Healthcare Leadership Institute in health inequity and advocacy. Wow. So this is a be talking to people about um, um, social determinants, health inequity. And um, oppression is really close to me, really, you know, dear to my heart and something I do professionally and care about personally. Here, here. Here, here. That is that is why God has brought you down here, and we are so thankful for that. I know mm-hmm. you—we we can't quite figure out, or I can't—you were here in 2000 and— I think it was probably—it was before the new airport got built— so seven, eight, somewhere in there. Right. Um, and and we've kept up over the years, and right. obviously you're— You've come to New Orleans and visited and, and stayed with us. Yeah. When we went to the Missional Voices Conference a couple of years mm-hmm. ago. Right. Wonderful. So thank you. Thank you for joining. Now, you and a team of psychologists, and we're going to get to hear—well, you're a psychiatrist. They are psychologists. Uh, um, created, created a team to come and resource— the ministry sites of FEME and, oh, that's the Spanish, ESME. ESME and 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 Slavery Ministries Ecuador and Second Chances. And Second Chances, which previously were known as Casa Dalia and Casa Casa Gabriel, Gabriel. but now the ministries are so much bigger. And Chuck and Stephanie and Becky, who we'll hear from in the next podcast, y'all just did a retreat 
for those two staffs. Right. It was uh, great. And and the, the hope and goal through Education Was Hope is to help those staffs be as healthy as possible as they are constantly ministering with people in trauma. Correct. Great. Well, today, um, Chuck is going to share a little bit with us about one of the sessions he did that I... I'm just so excited for everyone to hear this. Yeah, and then, absolutely. And then as we process it, it's just so encouraging. So, Chuck, take it away. Okay. The first thing I think I want to make clear is that many ways, medicine and all areas of mental health care are failing people. Mm-hmm. And that's because we have gotten so focused on disease and trying to help individuals overcome mental health problems, Mm -hmm. talking as if all the problems resolve in that individual. Uh But in actuality, today, most of all the patients that we see suffer from problems that are not within their own mind, meaning Mm -hmm. they're they're extra psychic. Uh And that includes problems like poverty, sociopolitical oppression, and abuses of power Mm -hmm. that lead to people being overwhelmed in their ability to cope. Mm And so there needs to be a movement away from focusing so much on individual care to moving to looking at these social ecologies. So, okay. so I, I, you shared an example at one point. Someone comes into your office and, and they're, they're overrun with anxiety and depression. Right. And instead of just focusing, okay, why, like, let's fix your brain. Right. You're looking at the ecology, the system of what are the weights that they're carrying that are causing that anxiety and depression that's outside of their Exactly. You know, if somebody is in a terribly oppressive, traumatic, difficult situation, and they're kind of sad and nervous, you would expect that to some degree. And you would you would see that just say in, in the, I don't know if this is the term you use anymore, but just in the projects of New Orleans, that would just be. Oh, a, it's everyday life. Yeah. It's just normal know. life. Where we live with things that are a little different because probably where I live, um, mass incarceration and gun violence is probably bigger than what you deal with. Mm -hmm. But certainly other forces like racism and unjust economic systems we deal with. Mm -hmm. And if people are suffering from that and we start talking to them as if they are the ones that are defective and not include the conversation that these systems are defective, Mm -hmm. we're really kind of contributing to keeping it the way it is. We're not making things change. And we're not helping people over come to understand where does their suffering exactly come from. Mm-hmm. So then where do I put my, you know, learn how to cope and what do I do to fix it? And a socio-ecological model is something that started in the 70s and 80s for different reasons, but it was addressing the same problem where things were too focused on the individual and disease and started talking about more of concentric circles, if you will, where in the middle you may have an individual, and an individual has lots of characteristics, you know, their their genetics, their biological makeup, their personality, their life experiences, Mm -hmm. whatever social determinants they bring with them. Um, But they live within a group of people that are their family, we'll say, okay? Mm -hmm. Not necessarily their biological family, but the people they love and care about and that are with them every day, Uh okay? Close co-workers, of course, families, partners, you know, very close neighbors. And that group can have a huge influence on how things go, you know. Um, In a negative way, if you have a lot of substance abuse or violence or isolation in that group, that's not good. But on the other hand, if you have a lot of connections, really 
um, encouraging, supportive roles. Even people under tremendous stress can do better. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we have that first thing in the middle of the individual. Next, kind of the group is that close knit group of people that we'll call their interpersonal group. Mm-hmm. And then you have another ring around that, which would be organizations like um, neighborhood communities, churches, um, recreational spaces, clinics, workplaces, mm-hmm. schools, anything that's in kind of your immediate thing where groups of these families start interacting with each other. Okay. Okay. So we've got um, three. We've got individual, then fa- close family and friends, and then organizations. Yeah. Okay. And then outside of that, you might have larger communities where organizations work together. And this is where you start having the impact of other things like um, employment opportunities, housing, stigmatization, Mm. you know, bigger themes Mm -hmm. that communities have that they have to deal with that can be either positive or negative influences. And then in the outer circle of these five things, you have national policies, large cultural and societal issues. And this is where we talk about things like the influence of labor laws, criminal justice systems, health care systems, housing laws, structures, how mm-hmm. resources are allocated. Mm-hmm. So all those things will have to do with somebody's mental health. All okay? those things impact All those things contribute. Mental health. They all matter mm-hmm. from your genetics to how taxes deal <laughs> with allocating resources in your nation you live in. Uh-huh. And these concentric rings, uh, our our ability to influence them can vary, okay? Now, if I was the president of Ecuador, I might could do something about that outer circle, okay? (laughs) But I can't. I'm just a clinician. Right. Um, I can't do a lot to change people's genetics or their personalities or their social determinants, Mm -hmm. okay? But I can do a lot to start talking about how families interact and how communities support each other especially close-knit communities like Mm -hmm. neighborhoods, churches, schools, all right? Mm -hmm. And that was kind of the point of this whole thing down here, talking in this retreat, is don't worry so much about things you can't change. I'm Mm -hmm. not saying they aren't important, but Mm -hmm. you may not have the ability to change them. Do what you can, but don't put your entire focus on that. Right, right. And so spending a lot of time, it really does matter how communities interact and support each other. Mm. Now, my experience in New Orleans with Hurricane Katrina taught us some lessons, okay? Mm-hmm. We got a lot of money f- mm-hmm. from grants for Tulane University, LSU, lots of other organizations to try to figure out with this terrible disaster, what can we do to support people mental health-wise, mm-hmm. okay? Because we know these disasters really are hard on people. And we sent teams of people out doing really high-level mental health work, high-quality mental health work, Mm -hmm. counseling, individual support, all kind of things. And when we went back and looked at the data and really asked ourselves what made a difference, the people that did best were the people Mm -hmm. that stuck with their families and Mm -hmm. families stayed together, they didn't scatter, Mm -hmm. and that communities and small groups of families stayed together Mm -hmm. and supported one another, Mm -hmm. and that people got recreation meaning they were able to have fun, they were able to relax, they were able to escape their misery for a couple of hours a day, <laughs> yeah. and those things predicted the best outcomes. Hmm. Now, I'd, I'd, I want to pause there for just a second and reiterate that, because I was, I was a part of one of the, the programs you did with a PowerPoint. Right. And those three things that you just rattled off, could seem like, oh, yeah, that that's, yeah, of course, like families stay together, like we've always heard that. But I think it, 
these were three distinct points on a PowerPoint. Like these are the people that did the best in a catastrophic one of the worst national disasters of the southeast right. if, if not the nation and that staying together as a family i'm assuming that means that those healthy family bonds right forming and working and being dedicated to those family bonds helped these people overcome mental health wise overcome one of the most traumatic things that they could go through that being a part of their community right and caring about each other, it's almost like that whole, I've heard that somewhere before, that love your neighbor as yourself <laughs> right, thing. Right, right. It's almost like that has real power in mm-hmm. it. And that recreation or Sabbath, where have I heard this before? <laughs> I, uh, that taking the time out to care for yourself, be distracted, that those three things, mm-hmm. though they're separate points on a PowerPoint, those three things are kind of the magic sauce to help your mental health and any and anything from normal day-to-day life to huge catastrophic events. Right. Am I understanding that correctly? Exactly. And, you know, so many times when, pe- when I do this kind of work or people ask me, they always want advice on how to help an individual overcome mental health problems. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, you know, I went to school a really long time to do that. <laughs> okay. And I can't tell you in a two-minute you know, blurb, sure. how do you help somebody with trauma? Sure. Well, I would say somebody, who, that's very difficult. Yeah. But what you can do is help support that family, mm-hmm. that community, and make opportunities for recreation and for fellowship. Uh-huh. The importance of being a person who invites and includes people mm-hmm. and asks them and over and visits them. Those things will make every bit as much difference as the best therapist can ever do. Wow. Wow. And this is what social psychiatry is about, mm-hmm. and this is what I have learned. Now, that doesn't mean there aren't some people that I see that, of course, you know, need more intensive, unique, highly skilled mental health interventions. Sure. But even that doesn't hold it, doesn't even come close to the impact if that same person could live in a supportive environment. Wow. That yeah. we, that we're all, <laughs> it's kind of like it's about, life's about relationships. <laughs> yeah. It really is. And, um, so one thing I wanted to do this week and during this retreat was really also I wanted to show people that from the academic point of view, what you're doing is right. Mm, that this huge. work is the right thing to do from um, um, what we know about the current science of psychiatry and what makes mm-hmm. a difference. And that's exactly what I Chuck did a workshop. Obviously, I did several workshops for what was formerly known as CASA A and formerly known as CASA G. Um, and, but then we held one, an open one for the community where members from uh, different ministry sites came. And after the presentation, the excitement of knowing that they are doing the right thing. Right. Because they feel so powerless. They mm-hmm. feel like they ha- don't have anything but food and inviting people over to eat or going to play soccer or basketball in the park. But for them to know that those like the the respaldo, how do you the backing the of backing the academic up. community, the scientific community? What you're doing is really never mind the spiritual community, because again, obviously, <laughs> we we know that those things are are interwoven and in, and in understanding who Jesus is and how he's in that relationship and and that love, caring for each other. It, it really is. There's a it lot of is. goodness it's, in that. It's really good, and you know, I have to ponder when I was in. When we were getting through Hurricane Katrina afterwards, I was interviewed on a series of times from the people at the BBC. And I remember after this, we'd about three years into this recovery, and the guy asked me, he said, how do you 
deal personally with having to witness so much suffering and oppression and injustice? Mm -hmm. And I thought that was the strangest question because I thought, but that's the world. Mm -hmm. That's Mm -hmm. the way the majority of people live. You know, there's only a few of us that don't have to deal with this kind of stuff. That's true. We're very lucky. That's very, very, very true. And so treating a hard life as if it's a disease, Mm -hmm. I find really odd to do anyway. Uh-huh. I think we have to say living a hard life can is normal for most people. Mm-hmm. Our job is to provide the community and the support and the love mm-hmm. and all that that comes together to help those families and communities live a happy, productive life. Mm. Yeah. Mic drop. <laughs> <laughs> you know. Absolutely. So... Um, Chuck's got his thinking face on. That's why there was a pause. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I just, um, I just really think that that's. Um, I'm having a hard time thinking to put it into words. That the, um, I really think that what Jesus taught about this is what I want to try to do is this idea of not looking at people that have a hard time as being broken or mm. defective. Mm-hmm. And that would be a medical model, too, of looking at people as if you need fixing. I think we just take people the way they are and say, no, what you need is community and support and mm-hmm. reassurance. Mm-hmm. And that's what I think programs like what y'all do here are so important. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank you. So, Thanks. Yeah. I don't. Thank you. Thank yeah. you. Thank you. We are so grateful for your expertise in general and life Mm. out there, that there's a Chuck Coleman out there that people (laughs) can interact with, but that you would choose to come and and spend time with Equals H, spend time with these ministry sites, and to share your heart and your passion and your expertise is a huge gift. Thank you. It was great coming down here and seeing y'all again. I hope I'll see y'all again sometime soon. Here, 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 here. If you would like to be a part of this Education Equals Hope team, please, please join. You are invited. We invite <laughs> you with open arms to be a part of this community. Um, go to www.educationequalshope.org. You can find a Donate Now button to provide for the education of those in desperate and difficult situations. Obviously, we have teams. We have vision teams. We have virtual teams that you can be a part of without leaving your living room. Um, all sorts of ways for you to be a part of this community. And um, I'm just so encouraged to know that we're on the right track and doing, <laughs> doing the right thing. And that is by God's grace. So. Thanks again, Chuck. All right. Thanks for being here, and we'll see you next time. Goodbye. Thanks for listening to our Hopecast. If you want to join the mission or know more about it, please visit our webpage, www.educationequalshope.org, or check our YouTube channel and Instagram with the same name.